0: L-methylfolate does get used often in the treatment of depression and other mental health issues. I have absolutely seen positive responses from people who had MTHFR gene mutations and then they would start taking L-methylfolate.
1: Welcome to the Empowered Podcast, where we bring you expert clinical perspectives on the latest health data and wellness trends. Each week, we'll cut through the noise and answer your unanswered health questions, helping you take control of your everyday well being. The Empowered Podcast contents are opinions that should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult your healthcare provider before you make any personal health related changes. Go to empoweredxlab.com to see our full terms. Hey guys, welcome to the Empowered Podcast. I'm Austin Alvarez and I'm here with Aaron Jurger and Dr. Travis Wilkes. How's it going?
2: Excellent. How are you?
0: Fantastic. What's going on with you, Travis? I'm great. Hopefully you guys are doing well.
2: Definitely.
1: So today, Jerger, what would you like to dive into?
2: We are going to talk about the NTHFR gene.
1: Are you cussing?
2: <laughs> I'm no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what does it even stand no, it's, for?
2: It's a very long word. It's think, methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase.
1: Ooh, so it's the gene for that particular enzyme. And but what does it even do?
2: That's what we need to ask Travis. He has to give us the rundown on all the conditions that um MTHFR gene can deal
1: with. Sure, and a quick overview. It sounds like uh, if you've heard of MTHFR, you might have heard of it in the context of maybe pregnancy, fertility, maybe heart disease and stroke through your uh, cardiologist or primary care physician. You could have heard it connected to cancer, mental health, headaches. There's a lot connected to MTHFR, but we need to know if there's evidence to back that up. So, Travis?
0: Yeah, so it's really it's really interesting. Um, MTHFR is... Extremely interesting. One of the struggles with it that I have, and I try to always be upfront with in these conversations, is that most of the evidence we have for MTHFR is what would be considered sort of emerging evidence. So it doesn't uh, it doesn't seem like MTHFR gets a lot of funding in terms of in terms of research research. Probably because uh, there's there's probably not a good way to uh, to to profit off of it from a you know from a pharmacological standpoint. You can't really own anything about it, um, and so there's there's a limited amount of research, um, but it is pretty broad. And so there's there's all these kind of studies that have been done, and they're all like I said, they're all kind of emerging research. So they there's um, there's interesting things that the research is showing, but it's hard. To, it's hard for me to go and list and say I am a hundred percent confident that if you have an abnormal mTHFR gene it's causing this problem that problem and that problem um, and, and so that's a struggle and so the whole time we talk about it it's going to be important that we sort of we, we sort of frame it in the context that this is based on emerging evidence things may change rapidly and things may be um, may seem to be correct now, and then they may be proven to be incorrect in the in the future. But it, it does lead to sort of a curiosity, and there, there's some curiosity about you know how how much does uh, does this gene activity and, and ultimately the MTHFR enzyme how much does that lead to to uh, medical issues, and then if you Um, If you overcome these enzyme deficiencies by supplementing uh, with the end product, can you do you you feel better? And I mean, it's, uh, you know, it it does lead to the potential for sort of uh, empirical trials. But, um, you know, just keep in mind throughout this whole discussion that it is emerging evidence base. So
1: so disclaimer, then it sounds like MTHFR will not solve all of your problems and taking supplements as a result of that may not fix anything, but we still want to learn about it, right? So for an overview, if we're going to simplify it, is it just MTHFR helps you activate folate or vitamin B9 and to make it bioavailable or active in the body so you can actually use it
0: yeah, so MTHFR is an enzyme that causes methylation. And so methylation is basically adding a group onto, onto something else. So it's adding a chemical onto a chemical. Um, it's sort of like uh, like if everybody was required to wear a hat to walk in a building and you weren't allowed to walk into the building without a hat, it is the man in front who puts a hat on uh, on your head so you're allowed to walk into the building. And, and so what's important about, about this is that folic acid or folate, which we get from, from foods and supplementation and um, a lot of foods are fortified um, with it, everything from prenatal vitamins, multivitamins have this, uh, vegetables and fruit are often rich in folic acid. Acid or folate, and so we get a lot of a lot of folic acid folate exposure um, from our from normal diets. So what happens next is um, that folate goes into the bloodstream, and the MTHFR enzyme will add a methyl group onto it and turn it into L methyl folate. What then happens is L methyl folate we know is sort of the the um, the building block for neurotransmitters, which are chemicals in the brain like um, like serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine. Um, it also seems to have other effects, but if you look at it from what we what's very clear is that folate from the diet clearly becomes L-methylfolate. L-methylfolate clearly becomes serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine. And so, if you have um, if you have decreased MTHFR enzyme activity. You're not going to be as efficient at converting uh, folate from your diet into L-methylfolate.
1: And does that mean then you therefore have less of those healthy neurotransmitters?
0: So it's tough to measure that. It's it's largely tough to measure that because we can't measure those neurotransmitters. So it, there's no there's no good blood test for neurotransmitters, and we can't most people are unwilling to let someone stick a needle into their brain and, and pull some fluid out. So it's, it's really, um, that was sort of a joke, but it's uh, it, it's really hard to kind of determine how much neurotransmitters in anyone's brain, and you see that a lot. I mean, the 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 entire treatment of depression um, and anxiety is is largely based around uh, changing levels of serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine, depending on different drug classes. That's what SSRIs, which are ser- um, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which is a huge class of antidepressants. That's what they Do is they or that's what we think they do is that they increase serotonin in the brain by causing serotonin to not get broken down, and so it's it's sort of a rational argument to say that if you have if you have less L-methylfolate, then you are more likely to have less serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine.
1: Makes sense. Now I've heard of drugs called Deplin, which I think is what like a seven point five and a fifteen milligram dose of methylfolate, huge doses. And my understanding is psychiatrists actually use that to treat depression sometimes, right?
0: Yeah. So, so, El, so, Deplin is a, is a, um, you know, brand name. Um, uh, medical food um that is that is L-methylfolate. Um there's there's also and that's prescription. Um there's also non-prescription forms of um of L methylfolate that are that are commercially available as well under under different brand names. Um and, and it does seem like these high doses are, are what's are often what's needed. But yeah, so the, those um L-methylfolate does get used often in the treatment of depression and other other um, mental health issues um, b- because it uh, it does seem to have a positive effect at, at least anecdotally. At, Trials are are sparse and a little bit um, a little bit difficult to give silent solid evidence. I can tell you, you know, anecdotally, um, I have absolutely seen positive responses from people who had um, MTHFR uh, gene mutations, when, and then they would start taking L-methylfolate. Um,
1: what kind of dose do you usually give? The seventy-five so or fifteen?
0: I have uh, conventionally gone with fifteen milligrams, uh, just off the right away.
2: Are there any side effects from that?
0: Good question. Um, no, I, I so I have not had anyone um, have side effects. I may, there may be some that are listed, or you know, some that I can't. You know, I can't. I don't want to say there's no side effects because people may have you know some kind of reaction to, to anything. And and they similarly could have reactions to fillers and things like that within, um, within capsules. But, um, but I have personally not encountered that in people who I have treated with L-methylfolate.
1: Interesting. And do you usually couple it with a medical antidepressant? And in the studies, is it usually coupled with like, take huge doses of L-methylfolate and take, you know, an SSRI?
0: Yeah, so it's typically used as an add-on to an antidepressant medication. So you've got someone taking an antidepressant medication, and they're not, um, they're not, uh, they're not doing as well as they hope, and then you add it on, and then people do um, do. Do better. Um, that's that's the hope that they do better. And so, I definitely think it's important um, that you know you you treat that that illnesses get treated by medical professionals. Um, so, I, I definitely don't um, endorse self treatment. I think that I think that knowledge is very powerful, and having knowledge of this can can definitely help you work with a medical professional to make. Um, to, to make kind of uh, shared decision-making, but I definitely want to, want to push that people work with medical professionals and don't self-treat, especially mental, mental health issues because they're very important to treat correctly.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And we've talked now about mental illness and mental health with MTHFR. What about the need to convert homocysteine and is there a different path looking at more heart disease, blood clots in that range?
0: Yeah, so it gets into another kind of, you know, emerging evidence, curiosity. Um, So one of the things that we often see is that people who have um, MTHFR gene variants, um, which are, you know, forms beyond kind of the the standard expected MTHFR uh, activity, so they often will have elevated levels of homocysteine um which is sort of a an enzymatic byproduct and is sort of seen as um as uh potentially um, negative, and so having a an elevated homocysteine is, I think of it as being suboptimal, and so you want to have um, you want to have an ele- you want to have a normal homocysteine, and you can often use homocysteine as a um, as a marker to to know are you getting enough um, enough. Uh, L-methylfolate, um, I, I do kind of, this is where it becomes tricky also because other things affect, um, homocysteine other than, than just folate. And so B12 and vitamin B6, uh, can also have effects on, on homocysteine. And so, you know, you, you would, if you have an elevated homocysteine, you probably need to go beyond just this test. You probably need to kind of understand overall your, um, your B vitamin, uh, levels across the board. And so, you know, I think it's I think you, you don't want to say you don't want to draw a direct line there, um, but you want to kind of put that into the reasoning and say, OK, now uh, I have an MTHFR gene variant. My homocysteine level is elevated. Uh, what steps can I do to correct that? should i also check my vitamin b12 level i just the more data you have and the more knowledge you have sort of the better decision um, decisions you can make especially because there are sort of differences in the mthfr gene so not everybody has the same variant so it's not like a it, it's not like you have the normal standard or you have some other things. So there's, there's, there's differences within there. So there's, um, there's one variant called the 677 TT, um, which, uh, decreases MTHFR enzyme activity, probably about 60%, um, versus a 677 CT variant, which probably decreases enzyme activity about 30%. Um, Interesting. And so you know you get into a game of percentages, and it's good to have sort of a marker that moves because the gene will never change. Um, you you'll never change the gene that you have, at least with current technology. Um, that that may change twenty years from now, but we'll we'll have to see what happens there. But you can definitely use homocysteine as a marker. To um, to understand if uh, if you're sufficiently supplementing, and then that may have correcting the homocysteine level may have uh, ha- have important um, uh, other secondary benefits like uh, decreased risk of of blood clots and um, decreased risk of cardiovascular uh, mm-hmm. events.
1: So it sounds like you're recommending just go ahead and test MTHFR gene, go ahead and test B six. B12, and homocysteine, and if the homocysteine is high, then talk to your doc about supplementing with B6, folate, methylfolate, and B12. Is
0: that correct? Well, it depends on what you need. I mean, because you may be, you you could have, it could be that you have a very, uh, a very um, normal B twelve level, and you don't need any B twelve, but um, but because you have this MTHFR variant, that's what's affecting um, your homocysteine level. I think what's important is to is to not try to draw a direct line and say because I have this gene, I I have that's what's affecting the homocysteine. Um, and that's the only thing that's affecting. I, I guess that's my kind of caution point here. I really want people to understand that you may have you you may need L-methylfolate um to help correct that homocysteine level, but you may need L-methylfolate and B12 or B6 along with it and it would be terrible to need B12 and then only take L-methylfolate and you know just assume that you're correcting everything. So what I guess what I'm really advocating is that is that you kind of do a a comprehensive evaluation and you really try to dig down to the root of everything and look at all the data and and really try not to make assumptions, because really the the wonderful thing about the world today is that data is readily available um, about ourselves. We can we can access so much data about ourselves and and you don't want to you don't want to make assumptions based on on one lab value when the rest of the data is so readily available.
1: Yeah. I like that. That's a good approach. So you mentioned B12. What about, so inactive cyanocobalamin versus active methyl, methylcobalamin. I mean, do you use one or the other?
0: Yeah. So I, I typically advocate for um, methylcobalamin, which is, which similarly to L-methylfolate, um, has has sort of already been um, methylated, and so it's it's sort of the active form of B12. Um, that just sort of uh, it it's readily available. It's very easy to find uh, at at pharmacies and uh, and big box retailers and uh, and online retailers. It's, it's extremely easy to find the methyl um, cobalamin or meth- methyl B12 form. Uh, the the one challenge that you if you do have a low B12 even if you use methylcobalamin which is a very high high quality form, there it's important to understand though that um, you need to follow your levels um, because even having a normal uh, a, 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 even having a wonderful supplement that may say it has 10,000 times the daily value, some people cannot absorb B12. Um, for, for a few different reasons. So sometimes people have malabsorption issues like celiac disease or, um, or or some other kind of malabsorption issue, um. Otherwise, there's actually an, an autoimmune condition where um, where people uh, people attack this thing called um, intrinsic factor, and so intrinsic factor is something. It's like a courier in the stomach that uh, that that's produced that actually acts as like the shuttle to get B12 from the stomach side of things into the bloodstream. And so if you don't make intrinsic factor anymore, then you cannot move B12 across the, um, the stomach lining or gut lining into the, um, into the bloodstream. And so that just reinforces to me that um, we really need to, Identify problems using, you know, using labs and, and, and um, understand what we're dealing with and then sort of, you know, try to line those up with symptoms and say, oh, maybe this is causing that and then sort of see, you know, do things get better um, and do sort of like, uh, you know, personal experimentation. And of course, under the supervision of a medical professional, um, and then you have to follow those uh, those labs with additional labs uh, a few months later, and make sure that, that things are actually rising. So if you go take if you go take methylcobalamin every day for a couple months, and you retest the level of B12 and your B12 levels low and your homocysteine levels high, then chances are you have some sort of malabsorption issue. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then you're going to need injectable or intranasal forms of B12. Um, and, uh, and then you're also going to need to figure out the root cause of why do you not absorb B twelve. So why are you having this malabsorption issue? And that could be, like I said, anything from celiac to other um, malabsorption states, sort of like uh, like SIBO, um, which has gotten a lot of attention recently.
2: Would you ever see someone that took B twelve? They get their levels up to a good, in a good range, but then they just drop as soon as they stop taking it? Would that be the same issue?
0: Yeah, well, yeah. So that, I mean, that happens because B12 doesn't really stay in your body that long, so B12 can kind of um, can kind of disappear uh, relatively quickly. It's a water-soluble vitamin. It doesn't really get saved up or stored well in the body, and so often people uh, people even if they correct, they need ongoing supplementation um, to keep their levels high. Often, if they have a, a a malabsorption a malabsorption state, and so if that were to happen, then I would. Definitely encourage someone to seek um, sort of a, a comprehensive workup um, for malabsorption, which could include everything from testing intrinsic um, intrinsic factor antibody to looking for celiac disease. Those would be blood tests all the way to um, to endoscopy or pill endoscopy um, or or different types of breath tests that would um, that that could help kind of make up uh, a more a better diagnosis of, of malabsorption. So I mean I think what this whole thing kind of points to is that is that all of these all of these labs are crumbs. They're all kind of cookie crumbs. And they can lead to the answer but you have to make sure you don't see any of these things as silver bullets. There, there's no lab that I know of that's a silver bullet. And the MTHFR gene is a perfect example of that because sometimes it gets sort of, I think, miscredited as being this end-all, be-all if you, if you fix this, all of these million problems will go away and you'll be better. And I think that's the wrong way to look at it. I think it can be a really important piece of the puzzle for a lot of people. And I have seen it help a tremendous amount of people, um, but it also may not be the primary thing or it may just be a piece of the problem, a, a component of the problem. And then it's and then you need to kind of continue to explore that and say, okay, well I know that I have this MTHFR gene variant. What's my homocysteine level? And then what's my B twelve level? And then and just kind of follow these things down. And then it may lead you to say, oh my gosh, I actually have this malabsorption issue because I have this small intestine issue where I have SIBO and that's really my problem. And, and so, you know, that is, um, that, that's sort of the, the wonderful thing about using data to make that sort of, uh, that sort of trek through things. Um, I, 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 I'm sort of making it probably overly simplified how I'm describing it, but if you, if you have a good, uh, a, a good uh, medical professional that you're working with, uh, they should be able to kind of guide you through these steps and make sure that you're you're doing the right thing to, um, you know, to, to kind of get you to your, your best self.
2: I have a question. Um, I've heard you talk a lot about migraines. And I know, isn't there a link with MTHFR and migraine? And, you know, how would you help someone that is suffering from migraines would you actually recommend this test
0: yeah so the link is um the link is kind of like everything else with mthfr it's i wouldn't it's not a slam dunk strong link um however there definitely seems to be some evidence to pointing to the fact that um Understanding your MTHFR gene status may help you make changes like L-methylfolate supplementation uh, that could decrease uh, the frequency uh, of uh, of migraines. However, this is I think you 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 picked a perfect example with migraines because if you have migraines, you should absolutely know your MTHFR gene status because if you know that, that's one piece of the puzzle that you now know and 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 there's a That may be an important part of your treatment plan to add L-methylfolate, but only see it as a piece of the puzzle. Do not not look at MTHFR and say, "If, if I only knew that five years ago, I wouldn't have any migraines because it's probably not true. But if you use that in an overall journey to seek answers for how do you reduce the migraine severity and intensity, um, and, uh, and frequency you, that can be an important tool that then maybe, maybe you also have a low coenzyme Q10 level. Maybe you have a low vitamin D level. Um, maybe, um, uh, you actually need riboflavin supplementation, which is vitamin B2, um, or, uh, or magnesium supplementation. I mean, magnesium su- magnesium deficiency is widespread and has a huge impact on on migraines. And so, I think that if the, the I think that uh, that is the perfect way to look at to perfect example with migraines to say. If you have migraines, you should know your MTHFR status, but you shouldn't rely on it to be the fix. But you should use that information along with all kinds of other data that you can collect on your, uh, on your, um, uh, from, your, from your blood that's relatively easy, and you can come up with a comprehensive plan that in my experience, I have, I have done this um, and looked at all of these nutritional factors and uh, in, in combination with MTHFR gene analysis, and I have been able to significantly help many, many people uh, with migraines. That's awesome. And it and it's if, if you I don't know if you suffer from migraines, but if you can reduce migraine frequency and severity by fifty percent, and then use you know medication less, then, uh, then you you've just changed your life. It's a huge win. Yep.
1: So I have to ask, most of my friends are of childbearing age and want to know if there's a link between MTHFR and pregnancy, MTHFR and miscarriages, MTHFR and general fertility. And then I have seen some very limited research um, on fertility that, for men and, and in affecting spermatogenesis. So can you talk about that a little bit?
0: I think that we we don't know. There are if you go, if you were to go to, uh, you know, to PubMed, you could find all kinds of articles. Um, The problem is most of them are done in relatively small populations. And so it's hard to make extremely good conclusions. Um, The way I've approached it is that uh, it is possible that it has an effect on fertility, miscarriage, etc., And mm-hmm. knowledge of your MTHFR gene status does not negatively affect any of those things. So you knowing about that does not have a negative effect. Now, if you know about your MTHFR gene status and then you say what do I do now because I need to take a multivitamin or, you know, a prenatal vitamin, Um, you can make the decision to then say, I'm taking a am going to take a prenatal vitamin that has L-methylfolate, which those are are widely available. Um, And and that may be, you know, the the extent of which you use that information. And and I think that's fine. I think that, and that's where I'm saying that your knowledge is never going to be an issue with this. I think that it's, Valuable enough or questionable enough that it's worthwhile to know if you're childbearing age and um, and considering pregnancy to know your MTHFR gene status because it may make you make that kind of decision. So you may not have any kind of symptoms that uh, that that you feel need treatment with high dose L-methylfolate. You may not feel depressed or you know have have fatigue or issues, but you may say, uh, "Well, you know what? I've got this gene variant." there's this prenatal vitamin that costs $5 more and it has l bethylfolate instead of um, I- instead of regular folic acid. I'm going to take that one because even though the evidence is sort of unclear, uh, you know it, it it's not going to it's not going to be a negative. And I think that's um That's sort of where I've seen people kind of use the data the best way. I I, I definitely don't think that someone should take that, take this data and say, and say, oh, because I have this, I'm, you know, uh, I'm really nervous because I, I think that there may be an issue. I think that's the wrong approach because I don't think that we have, I don't think we have enough evidence to, to cause that level of fear. Um, but I think that using it to make sort of a, and a self advocating, you know, sort of uh, more prudent decision in, in terms of supplement selection. That's, that's where, uh, that's where the positive element can come in. That
1: makes sense. So would you generally just recommend that everyone take the prenatal vitamin that has L-methylfolate in it, even if they haven't tested MTHFR, is there any risk for that?
0: Yeah. So, um, so what I've generally found is that higher quality supplements often have L-methylfolate um, in them, um, regardless of, of, um, of what, uh, you know, who they're aimed at. I mean, so I, um, I give my kids a multivitamin um, every day. Uh, they, they take the gummy bear multivitamins and uh and their um their multivitamin has uh, L-methylfolate as the uh, as the folate source, yes, yes. and so I I think that yeah when I you know it gets into a bigger conversation about multivitamins uh, which I'm pretty judgmental of uh, usually and I think that there's a there's a really big amount of quality issues um, that you see with them um, I I'm I tend to be pretty judgmental about you know if they put uh, retinal palmitate instead of uh, mixed carotenoids or beta carotenoid for the vitamin A or, you know, what kind of magnesium do they use? Do they use magnesium oxide versus a more absorbable form of magnesium? Um, but I think that, you know, it's, it, it, when I look at a multivitamin label, it's easy for me to go down and, you know, try to be nitpicky. Um, when um, when someone who, who doesn't have my background looks at it, I, I think that... Um, Generally, what I've seen, and, and there may be an exception to this, but generally what I've seen is that if a multivitamin, whether it's for kids or a prenatal or um, an, an adult, um, if it has L-methylfolate as the primary folate source, it tends to be overall higher quality and all the other ingredients tend to be higher quality. There, there is no person that would be harmed by taking L-methylfolate um uh, in the place of um of of regular regular folate
2: as i have to share something i just looked up my mthfr results
1: Ooh, you're gonna share
2: <laughs> i dug them out so i have these copies i have the 677 and the 1298 and my b12 is low and my wow. homocysteine oh is my high
0: goodness you're a mess <laughs>
2: Best. Once again,
0: you don't take L-methylfolate, do you? Or I B12?
2: take methylcobalamin. Okay. I do take methyl B12. Well,
0: maybe maybe you can be a guinea pig um, for the podcast and you can uh, you can start and then you can report back and give I us your. I um need you to your... do
2: that. I will. <laughs> Awesome. Well, that was great, Travis, and thank you for everything and for all the great information. And We'll
0: see you next time. Definitely. Thanks, Thanks. Tom. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Empowered
1: Podcast, your trusted advisor for all things health and wellness. For more information on how you can take control of your health, visit EmpowerDXLab.com. or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you next time. Until then, stay empowered.